I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. Today's episode is all about choosing bow accessories, or more specifically, rests, quivers, and stabilizers. Today's topic could be a real snooze fest, folks, so I'm going to try to keep it as lively as possible. Now, last week, I talked about sights and peep sights, which demand some thought if you want to shoot as well as possible in the woods, and I know you do. Today, I'm sort of picking up the scraps to talk about arrow rests, quivers, and stabilizers. These accessories might not seem all that important, and honestly, they aren't, except, I don't know, sometimes they are. Sometimes the choices we make around these accessories can cost us dear. This is most relevant when we talk about rests, which is what I'm gonna start with. Let's say you started bow hunting, I don't know, in the last decade. You probably only really know about two kinds of rest options drop away style or fall away style, I guess, and a whisker biscuit type of shoot through style. You probably really haven't seen a whole lot of plunger rests or any of the other variations of tight to the riser accuracy robbing rest that we had a few decades ago. Well, that's a good thing, actually, uh, unless you're interested in traditional archery, but that's fodder for a different episode. The rests you're likely to see mounted on modern compounds really only fit into the two categories I mentioned. Now, if you start to break those categories down, you realize there are quite a few different variations of each, particularly when it comes to drop away or fall away rests. And these are my favorite for many reasons. But first off, the reason that this style has come to dominate the market in recent years and has won me over is because they are the most accurate commercially available models out there. The design of a fall away is one that it promotes the least amount of overall contact with your arrow while also guiding the arrow for as long as possible through the shot cycle. See, I told you this could be a snooze fest. These rests function mostly through a dropper that is attached to a cable on your bow or maybe your limbs. And when you draw, 
It either raises the rest and sets it in place for the shot or engages the rest that you've already locked into place so it's ready to go. Now, if your air rest is timed correctly, you'll just take aim, shoot, and while it happens much too fast to see, that rest, the part that holds the arrow, is going to guide the arrow for much of its length while the string pushes it toward the target or the deer. As your veins get dangerously close to contacting the rest, it drops out of the path and sends your arrow downrange without any negative influence. Simple, right? Well, if you don't have it timed correctly, then you might see some wonky arrow flight. You don't want your veins contacting anything. And if they are, you're losing out on accuracy. I don't want to get into too much detail here because I can already envision listeners' heads clunking against their work desks or, I don't know, the steering wheel of their truck as they spontaneously go to sleep. But I'll say this. Try to at least understand what your rest needs to do in order to function properly. A basic understanding of that is important. If you see any tail whips or spiraling during your shot, a likely culprit is your rest. Now, it might have something to do with a center shot issue or the timing of your rest, or it might have something to do with your arrow choice. But a rest is a good place to start. And regardless, it's bad news if you have any wonkiness in your arrow flight because you know you're sacrificing some accuracy and penetration. Now, all cautionary warnings aside, I love drop-away rests. And uh, scratch that. I love a full containment rest that falls away, which means when I'm hunting, my arrow can't go anywhere. Even if I fall out of my tree or I decide, like Mark Kenyon occasionally does, to skip or do cartwheels on the way to my stand. This kind of rest ensures that whether I'm shooting behind me from a stand at a weird angle or I'm crawling through the grass to stalk a prairie-dwelling whitetail, my arrow is always ready to go. And I don't have to worry about holding it with my index finger, even though I impulsively, compulsively do. The launcher arms or the prongy looking thing that holds your arrow, that should be quiet too. Contained doesn't necessarily mean quiet. And if there's any way for your rest to bounce off a hard plastic arm or the little containment ring or the riser, it's no good. You might also see that these rests can be limb-driven, which means the cable that activates the whole thing is not attached to your downward bus cable, but to the limb itself. Now, I've had people who are much smarter than me say that this is the most accurate option out there, and I have no reason to not believe them. And I've used these rests, and they were fantastic. But there's one thing I didn't like. I didn't like them when I took my whitetail bow on a mule deer or antelope hunt, because in a situation where I'm guaranteed to crawl around a lot, I don't like having that much cable on the side of my bow. It's ripe to get caught on brush and just creates the potential for an infield issue. I don't like that. Now, keep in mind, that never actually happened to me, but it is possible. It's also possible, if you hunt out of stands and blinds exclusively, that that might not ever be a concern of yours. With whatever style you choose, keep in mind that over time, things can change. If the cables of your bow stretch a little over the years, the timing of your rest could change, and that's bad. The springs and internal workings of a rest can wear out as well, which is something I had happen to me a few years ago. It really wasn't all that noticeable in my backyard when I was shooting in August, but became pretty obvious later in the season when it got really cold. These drop-away, fall-away style rests they have moving parts, and we all know moving parts can fail. Those moving parts can also cause noise, which is something to think about. Your rest slamming into your bow shelf when you shoot will make some noise if that's how you have it set up. A little moleskin or a rubber pad will help you there, 
but also make sure that you're not getting any bounce back with your launcher arm. If you are, it'll interfere with your veins and cause, yep, you guessed it, a bit of wonkiness in your aeroflight. Now, I'm focusing mostly on what can go wrong. Modern rests are amazing and will mostly function amazingly well, provided you set them up correctly and you keep tabs on them over the years. I really think as far as helping most folks level up their accuracy, drop-away rests have been a silent hero for years now. Of course, not everyone wants moving parts and the price tag that often comes with a drop-away rest. This leaves the static shoot-through style, which is usually called a whisker biscuit, even though that's a brand name, it's also the most popular in the category by far, so the brand name has become ubiquitous for the category, kind of like Band-Aid. Now, I don't like this style, but that's just me. I think they're a great option for a lot of people, particularly for whitetail hunters. Not only are these rests super easy to tune, they're generally very quiet and extremely unlikely to fail. They're also usually pretty cheap. So what's not to love? Well, you're guaranteed to have vein contact on every shot as your arrow passes through the whiskers. For the, I don't know, sub 40 yard crowd, it's probably not really much of an issue. You can shoot tight groups with these rests, but that contact comes with some potential for less than perfect arrow flight and also the continual degradation of vein integrity if you shoot enough. Now this can come into play in years and years and years of practice, especially if you're not shooting new arrows every year. Now you're also, over enough shots, wearing out the integrity of the whiskers as well. I don't like that personally, but you might, and that's perfectly fine. If you don't shoot thousands of practice shots a year, or you're just a minimalist at heart, a biscuit style rest could be just what the doctor ordered. It also, I might add, is an excellent option for new shooters. Now, I bought my daughters their first compound bow last Christmas, and you can bet your ass it has a whisker biscuit on it. I want them to think about their form and how they aim, and that's it. I don't want them to have to think about anything else, so that rest style is an excellent option for them. Now, I don't even want to say this, but I will. If you're going rest shopping, understand that price is roughly correlated to quality. Those whisker biscuit style rests are cheap-ish, and that's great. But if you're looking at drop-away or fall-away rests, a $40 version is not going to be the same thing as a $150 model. There will be a sacrifice there in materials and build quality, most likely. And one thing you do not want to have fail is your rest, because that sucks a lot. Now, you might think, well, shoot. How am I supposed to afford a high-end rest and all the other accessories I need on my bow? Now, this is going to be wildly unpopular, but you could save money by not buying something like, I don't know, a stabilizer. If you pay attention to my hunting rigs, and I highly doubt you do, you'd see that I rarely run a stabilizer on my hunting bows. And here's why. A stabilizer in its truest form is designed to help you stabilize the bow. Consistency from shot to shot is what makes great archers. And one way to encourage that is to hang a bunch of weight off the front of your riser to counter the weight behind it and on the sides. When you turn on the Olympics or some other high-level archery contest, you can see how seriously pro shooters take their stabilizers. They'll have front-mounted stabilizers of very specific weights and rear-mounted stabilizers of very specific weights. You'll occasionally also see a Western bow hunter with smaller versions of each, but most whitetail hunters have a short 
light stabilizer that looks nothing like the Pro's version. It also functions nothing like the Pro's version because it's not long enough or not heavy enough. Both. Our hunting versions of stabilizers are almost entirely meant to dampen shot vibration. This is worth it for some folks because who doesn't want a whisper quiet bow? If you hunt cagey whitetails, shot noise is a factor. A four inch stabilizer that weighs six ounces isn't really going to help you balance your bow a whole lot and make you a better shooter, but it could definitely soak up some of the vibration during your shot and keep the sound down. That's a benefit and it's not nothing. But as far as accuracy, uh, I don't know, man. And if you don't believe that, it's pretty easy to test out. Shoot some groups with a stabilizer on. Shoot some groups with a stabilizer off. Shoot as far as you'd like, if possible, well beyond your normal whitetail shooting ranges. Maybe you'll see a difference in the tightness of your groups, but you probably won't. In fact, if it's windy, you might actually see a little bit better groups without the stabilizer. At 20 or 30 yards, I bet good money that almost every whitetail hunter on the planet won't notice a bit of difference in accuracy after having removed a hunting stabilizer. Now, I know you're thinking that stabilizers have to make a difference because everyone uses them. I know Mark thinks that because I had this conversation with him once and he looked at me like I just told him that I thought maybe I might give up bow hunting to try a new career in cage fighting. But you can test this out and see for yourself. So look at hunting stabilizers this way. They probably really aren't doing you much good for accuracy, but that's okay. If you want the benefits of a quieter bow, they are here for you. And they might just offer a psychological boost, which is good enough for some folks. Now, this last category of accessories is one worth thinking about, quivers. This one is kind of an afterthought for most whitetail hunters, but it really shouldn't be. There are quite a few considerations with quivers, and that starts with how many arrows they can hold. Now, I'll never forget hunting elk with my buddy Jace Bowserman, who happens to be a fellow outdoor writer. We were taking a coffee break on the side of a mountain in southern Colorado, waiting for divine intervention to make the elk do something besides hide and not bugle, when I looked down at his bow. He had three arrows in a three-arrow quiver. That was it. I looked at my bow, and I had twice as many arrows. If that tells you anything about his confidence versus mine, well, there you go. I've had some colossal meltdowns in the woods, and I've emptied full quivers without much to show for it but a bunch of embarrassment. While it has been a while since that has happened, those situations leave a mark on you. You don't forget them. Most of mine involve some level of fall turkeys and deer or just spring turkeys. But either way, emptying your magazine, so to speak, isn't a great feeling. So I opt for being able to carry a decent amount of ammo. Three arrows would probably cover me for 99.7% of every hunt I'll ever go on for the rest of my life. But that little sliver of a chance that it won't doesn't make me feel so good. So I go a little bigger just in case. This also allows for more options. If for some reason you want to have an arrow with you that is fitted with a field point or a small game head, or if for some reason, which some people do, you wanted to carry both fixed and mechanical broadheads. But here's the thing. The more arrows you hang on the side of your bow and the more materials needed to create a quiver that can hold them, it means more weight. And more weight on the side of your bow means the chance to cant your rig ever so slightly if you shoot with your quiver on. And if you do, consider that and consider opting for either a one or a two-piece option that mounts tight to your riser to help preserve some balance. Now on that note, I personally always choose a one-piece quiver for a simple reason. 
I like taking it off my boat. When I started out, this wasn't an option and we didn't even think about it. We just always shot with a quiver on our bows. When it finally became an option, I couldn't believe how much more I liked target shooting and hunting without a quiver on my bow. Now, if this doesn't seem like a big deal, again, go back outside, put a fully loaded quiver on your bow and go shoot when the wind is blowing like, I don't know, 30 miles an hour. Shoot around at whatever distance you want and then take your quiver off, shoot another round. You'll notice a difference in accuracy, I bet. And you'll notice how much different it is to hold your bow steady quiver on versus quiver off. In the whitetail woods, you might not experience those conditions very often. Not like you will, I don't know, stalking mule deer on the plains, for example, but they do happen. They often happen during pre and post frontal conditions, like the kind of weather that sometimes gets deer out and really moving. How easily and silently a quiver can be removed is an important consideration. How tight the arrow grippers are is as well. This is a hard one to test in the store when you're looking at a whole bunch of quivers, but it's important, particularly if you shoot micro diameter arrows. Most quivers can handle them, but not all of them handle them very well. And believe me, you don't want a quiver where your arrows will slip out and fall only to be caught by the broadhead. This is not good. You also don't want your arrows gripped so tight that they are a pain to get out. Because when you miss or hit a deer poorly and you have an opportunity for a follow-up shot, you don't want to have to wrestle with your quiver, which will be loosely hanging off a gear hook most likely. You want a quiver that holds an arrow tight enough so they don't come loose while you're hunting, but not so tight that you have to get two hands fully involved to free your next arrow. Also, as a parting thought that pertains to every accessory choice in modern bows in general, it's a good idea to understand, at least at a base level, how these things function. This way, if you need to do an infield fix on something, you might be able to do that. I carry a set of Allen wrenches in my truck all season long, just in case something comes loose or I need to swap an accessory out. One of the primary spots where you experience some shot noise when you least expect it is with loose bolts and screws. This can also lead to bigger issues like busted draw stops when you're aiming at a nice buck slurping some pond water on public land in South Dakota in 2015 for a totally random example. Tighten up those bolts. Have a chance to work on your bow if you need to in the field just a little bit. Just those simple fixes and understand your accessory choice and you'll be way better off. <sighs> okay, that's what I got for you this week. We ate our vegetables the last two weeks and we were responsible bow hunters. Next week, I'm going to start talking about putting those accessories to good use throughout the summer and mixing a little bit of good stuff for the gun hunters in the audience. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. If you want to read some of my articles or articles from a quite a few really talented whitetail hunters, head on over to themeateater.com slash wired. And if that's not enough, go to our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel and check out the how-to videos we drop every single week. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. 
It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.